Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're thrilled you've joined us for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a four-part series entitled Joyride. This sermon series will teach all the ways to unpack the DNA of contagious joy and live with it overflowing. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. You guys always make me feel so welcome, so I, I appreciate that. I'm, uh, I'm, it's my honor and, and privilege to be up here and speaking today. And thank you. And uh, wherever you may be, I would love to welcome in all of our campuses as well. Those who are joining us today, NCCIW, uh, The Coffee House, if you're watching online or on TV. Uh, wherever you may be joining us, however you're joining us, uh, welcome. We're, we're, we're glad to have you. And welcome to all of you that are here at Central as well. If, uh, if this is your home, if uh, this is your first time or somewhere in between, uh, welcome. We are excited to have you. We are journeying along in our series called Joyride, and we're going to do that in just a second. Are you guys enjoying Joyride? Yeah. It's been a great, great uh, series so far. This is part four of five, but look, before we hop into that, let me just remind you one more time. So in two weeks, we're going to be starting a brand new series called Real Relationships. You guys get to play on words, right? Relationships. Real relationships. We're, it's not just a dating series. It's not just a marriage series. not just a series on friendships. It's really looking at the spectrum of relationships and discovering how we can have God-honoring relationships in our lives. You guys want to be there for that, but also invite your friends to come and join us for that as well. People at work, uh, friends and family, neighbors, whatever it might be, to come and join us. I'm sure it's going to be life-giving to, uh, to so many. But today is part four of five of Joyride, and uh, throughout we've been decoding the DNA of unstoppable joy. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but there's been a theme that's sort of built on itself throughout. And it's been this theme of greatness, this theme of greatness. In week one, I, uh, I set the stage for, for this theme whenever I said your personal joy is linked to you discovering God's unique calling on your life. In week two, Pastor Benji said that he would, he would rather attempt something great for God and fail than to do something of no significance and succeed. And then last week he talked to us about linking our God-given passions with God's purpose and then surrendering ourselves to God, seeing what he could do with that. There's been this overarching theme of greatness. So let me drive it home even further today. Let me ask you guys this question. What could God do with a life that is fully surrendered to him? What could God do with a life that is fully surrendered to him? And I'll give you the answer up front. Anything he wants. Anything he wants and immeasurably more than one that doesn't. Can you picture that? A life that's fully surrendered to God. God can do anything he wants with that. Anything he dreams of, anything he wants to accomplish, he can do it through those who are fully surrendered to him. You see, I believe we innately feel that joy and greatness are somehow inextricably linked. We have a suspicion that if we achieve something of worth and something of value that our joy would increase alongside of it. You see, that beating of your heart, that voice that continues to call you forward, your desire to make a mark on the world, I would argue, is the very fingerprint of God on your life. You've asked the question before. You've probably prayed the prayer, God, is this it? Is this all there is to life? See, I believe that God desires that you live a life of worth 
and value, that your life matter, that before you and I die, we would really live. That joy would be a mainstay in our lives and not just a remembrance of some time in the past and not simply a hope for sometime maybe in the future. God is not afraid nor is God surprised that you and I want to achieve greatness. The question, of course, is what does it mean to achieve something great? I wonder for a moment this morning if you could sort of step outside of your life. Just kind of step out for a moment. Look someday into the future. Looking down, you can, you can see your obituary. Now, I know, like, we're supposed to be doing a series on joy and joyride, right? And I just reminded everybody that at some, some point in the future, you're going to die. I apologize for that. But stay with me. I wonder, I wonder. We could stay at the surface if you want. But I wonder if true joy, real joy, is found looking real life in the eye and finding joy amidst of it. Are you with me? So imagine with me for just a moment. You're looking at your obituary. What would it say? Are you satisfied with what it says? Is there maybe more to be written? Now just imagine life is going along just fine. You wake up one morning to read the morning paper. Now, I guess that would be using our imaginations because who reads the morning paper anymore, right? You're reading your iPhone, right? Or you're reading your iPad or whatever it might be, your Kindle. You're looking at the local newspaper. You're reading the obituaries, and all of a sudden you see your name. This actually happened to a man in 1888. His name was Alfred. He was getting up to, uh, to read the morning paper, and there he looked and saw his very own obituary. People thought he had died. In fact, his brother had died, and the local newspaper thought it was him. And so they wrote up a whole story on him. And when he was looking at his obituary, he was deeply saddened by what he saw. He was a a creator. He was an inventor. And he was actually the one to create dynamite. He created dynamite actually out of a good heart, believe it or not. He thought if he could create a weapon that would do so much destruction in the world, people would actually look at it in terror and fear and would recoil at the thought of what it could do to human life. He assumed incorrectly. He thought it would stop wars and violence and it only escalated it. And so when he looked at his obituary, it labeled him the merchant of death. It's quite an obituary. And he was deeply saddened by it. Sitting, reading his paper, Late in life, he decided, because he had become fabulously wealthy from this great invention, he decided that he would spend the rest of his days giving his wealth away to fund prizes. Prizes that he said would go to people, let me get this right, who contributed to the greatest benefit of mankind. All of his wealth away to to give prizes to those who had, uh, in the previous year, contributed to the greatest benefit of mankind, you know the most famous prize as the Nobel Peace Prize. It's a much different legacy, isn't it? Didn't even know that he was the one who created dynamite. Alfred Nobel, late in his life, discovered that greatness is actually the elevation of others. For him, it was the elevation of humanity on the whole. So what about you? If you could rewrite your story, where would you begin? What would you write? What would fill the pages of those who would remember you? Today, the the, the pedal is fully down on this series, Joyride. And I realize for some of you, 
Throughout this series, there's been something stirring inside of you, something that uh, has been awakened that had lied dormant for a number of years. Some of you are optimistic that at some point in the future, joy could return to your life, and others of you aren't quite convinced just yet. Joy seems like something that might have been, but it's probably not going to be in the future. Why is joy a mainstay for some and seemingly elusive for others? Is it a secret that's only been revealed to a, to a select few? I wonder if joy isn't a secret at all. I wonder if, if it was the, actually the, the very essence of the way that Jesus chose to live his life every single day. If you've got a Bible, you can, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to sit and we're going to look at a couple moments in Mark chapter 9 and, and chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen in, in just a moment. But I love looking into the life of Jesus, especially when he's talking to his disciples. It shows us so much. And if, if it shows us anything at all, it shows us the immense patience that Jesus had with his disciples, which is good for you and me, right? But he, but he had great patience. There's one day Jesus is walking down the road with his disciples. Let's pick it up there, Mark 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? He overheard them. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, a conversation like that in the presence of the one you feel like might be the son of God <laughs> takes a lot of, we'll call it guts. <laughs> it takes a lot of guts. And greatness, they thought, was putting oneself above the others around you. It's a pretty common thought, right? It's less about what you do and more about where you rank among the people around you. Going on, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first or greatest must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus saying greatness, being first, being the best, is actually elevating others above yourself. Jesus is actually saying greatness is a choice. It's not how you're born. It's not who, who you're born to. It's not even where you're born. You can choose to be great. Greatness is elevating others above yourself. But have you ever tried to teach someone something and it seemed like they weren't listening? <laughs> Parents, are you with me? Teachers, are you with me? Right? We've all felt that. You're trying to get something across and they're, they're just not getting it. You're pretty sure they weren't even paying attention because they're missing it. It's exactly what's happening with Jesus. He wants his followers to understand, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Here's what's coming. Not only that, you might want to know because it's going to have something to say to how you live your lives. Mark 10, just, just turn to the next chapter. We'll start at verse 33 again. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Stop for just a moment. Now, that's some pretty heavy stuff, right? Jesus is telling his followers, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It, the, the, the person that, that they believed to be the son of God, who was, who was coming to do great things, just share with them what's actually going to be happening to him. And he's sharing with him, this life I'm calling you to, this life I'm modeling, it's going to cost you everything. How would you respond to that? 
If Jesus laid that out for you and you were following him that closely, how would you respond to them? It says that James and John came to him. And here's their response. It might be a little different than your own. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You've got to see the humor in the scripture sometime, right? (laughs) Jesus just laid all this out. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus is courteous for a moment. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. There it is again. A lot of guts, (laughs) right? To say something like this to Jesus, their teacher. The hunger to ascend is a powerful emotion. It can cause us to do some things we would not be proud of, to say and do things that actually in hindsight are a little foolish. They're saying to Jesus, that's great, Jesus. Thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks for sharing with us your most vulnerable moment that's coming at some point in the future that's going to completely humiliate you. That's great. When you get to that kingdom and you become the king, can we be your princes who would sit on your right and on your left? Takes a lot of guts to say something like that. That's great, Jesus, but can we get back on this discussion of greatness? We, we, kinda, we, we, we didn't like what you said about it earlier. We want to bring it up one more time. And when Jesus is sharing with him, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what I'm about to do, or you're not fully conceiving of it because I'm sharing it with you. And as he's talking with them about this discussion, the other ten come and they overhear it. Here's what it says, verse 42 of, of Mark 10. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, I, this is my guess. My guess is it's not so much because of what they were sharing with Jesus, but because they got to Jesus first. Are you with me? They were going to share it. That's why they were having a conversation on the road. They just got to Jesus first. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know those, that are, who, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles? They lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Greatness has been ascending. But in my economy, Jesus is saying it's actually rising downward. It's no longer ascending to be above others. If you want to be great, you actually rise downward. The authority to power is actually the power to serve, not to rule. Authority is power to serve, not to rule. He goes on. Instead, whoever wants to become great, there's the word, among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is looking at him and saying, everything I'm doing is serving and uplifting others. And yet you come to me wanting to elevate yourself. You want to be great? Start living like me. Start serving one another instead of trampling one another just to get ahead. And while this is counterculture to Jesus' day and it's counterculture to ours as well, I think we get it. I think we innately understand this. You see, when you and I, when we envision ourselves at our most ideal, we see a hero. When you picture yourself in your best moment, on your best day, doing everything you ever dreamt you would do, you are serving others. You are putting others up. You're saving the day. You're sacrificing so that your neighbor can get something. You're sacrificing so your family can get something. You're sacrificing to elevate others. When you see your best, 
is serving. We get this. It's built into our very DNA. Did you notice recently when we're all glued to the TV screens and we're looking in horror at what was taking place up in Boston after the bombings and the marathon? Did you notice when news wasn't coming quickly, all the news anchors were actually looking for heroes? Did you see this? They were looking for the story within the story. Who's stepping up to serve others? Who's putting the, their, their selves on the line to serve others? When everyone was running away, who was running towards the victims? We love looking at heroes. And when we envision ourselves at our most ideal, we see ourselves as one as well. We get this. And it's putting ourselves on the line for someone else. What Jesus is saying is what Alfred Nobel was beginning to see. A life's worth, catch this, a life's worth is determined by how much of it is given away. A life's worth is determined by how much of it is given away. When you see yourself years down the road, when you read whatever everyone else is reading about you, a life's worth is actually determined by how much of it is given away. There's a song that plays on my iPhone a lot when I'm, when I'm walking around or when I'm driving. It's by a worship pastor down in Atlanta named Eddie Kirkland, and he has a song that's called Kings and Queens. I want to read just the, the chorus for you guys. It says this, The riches found in heaven are crowned upon the meek. All the children, thieves, and beggars stand above the kings and queens. The mystery of the kingdom is everything reverse. The hands that hold the treasures are the ones who live to serve. Isn't that a great line? Heaven's heroes are the last and least on earth. Heaven's heroes are the last and least on earth. That's beautiful language. You want to do something great. You want to make a mark. You want to live a life of worth and significance. To be remembered for doing something great on earth. You want to wake up every day and know that your life, your moments, your breasts are worth something. Jesus is saying it very simply. Choose joy. Choose to serve. Choose to give your life away on behalf of others. As I'm speaking, you're probably thinking of someone who is like this. Someone who, the more they give, the more energetic they become. The more that they serve others, the, the more that, that they're just so full of joy. When they put others first, they just get a kick out of it. It happens every Sunday. I see it every week. Those who walk in and walk out with the most joy are the ones who are figuring out ways to serve around here. They're just full of it. Joy, that is. <laughs> Sometimes you say words and you hear it out loud. Here's the thing about those people that, you, that you're picturing, that you're thinking of. That when they give, they seem so wrapped up in joy. The more they serve, the more they give away, the more energetic they become. It's not a secret, is it? It's built into the very human DNA. The DNA of unstoppable joy? Serve. It's serving. Proverbs actually says it this way. The book on wisdom says it like this. A generous person will prosper. Someone who gives away, who's generous, will actually get ahead. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. You ever notice that wisdom sometimes comes from unlikely places? 
I uh, picked up a book some years ago for my, for my daughters. It's just a book. It's called, Have You Filled a Bucket Today? All right? So some of you might ask me afterwards, what's it called? It's just simply called, Have You Filled a Bucket Today? It's just this great book. My, my wife and I were traveling once in Tennessee, and we stopped and picked up this book. I had no idea that it was like a multiple award-winning book that like major psychologists have actually done years of research that undergirded this, this kid's book, believe it or not. And here's, here's the, 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 the premise of, of this kid's book, all right? It's going to be so simple. You're like, why don't we get this? Why don't we live this out every single day? So here's the premise. Everyone, every one of us, everyone in the world has an invisible bucket, all right? We've all got an invisible bucket. And in that bucket was where we actually carry our joy, all right? It's not a Christian book. It's just a book on how humans work. Every one of us carries a bucket. That bucket is full of joy, or at least that's where we carry our joy. Common knowledge says that the only way to fill the bucket is to actually take and dip from someone else's. You follow me? That the only way you can fill up your bucket is to actually take from someone else's. That's what common knowledge says. But the book says the more you take from other buckets, the less you have in your own. So somehow when you take from others, yours empties out. The only way to fill up your bucket is to be what they call a bucket filler. This is deep stuff here. Or one who fills up others' buckets. When you do nice things, when you give joy away, you fill up somebody else's bucket, and somehow you fill up yours as well. And then the book concludes with this. How can you rise every morning and ask yourself, how can I fill someone's bucket today? And at the end of the day, you just simply ask yourself, was I a bucket filler or was I a bucket dipper? So this great book. Very, very simple. And yet somehow as adults, we like to complicate things, don't we? (laughs) Hurts, frustrations, being burned, somehow kind of ups the stakes just a little bit. There's a lot of reasons why being a bucket filler is difficult for us. I think there's four sort of main categories or reasons why. All right, the the first is, is simply this. For a lot of us... We just think our bucket's empty. Somewhere along the way, someone told you your worth. Someone told you your value, and you didn't measure up. And so you believe the lie that your bucket is actually empty. And so for you, you can't even imagine filling up someone else's bucket because you think yours is empty. And by the way, it's a lie. It's a myth. There's another bucket. I would just kind of label this bucket inadequate. For a lot of us, we would say, you know what, like, yeah, I've got something in my bucket. There's a little bit there, but it's not a lot. And what I'm doing with my own life isn't really working all that much for me. So if it's not working for me, how in the world could I give something else away? Who would want the little bit that I have? Others of us, and I think we all have a little bit of this in us as well, When you look at what you have in your bucket and you look at all the problems in the world, they just feel so big, don't they? When you look at the statistics, when you read websites, when you're watching on TV, whatever it might be, you just look at all that. You're like, I see what I've got in my bucket. I look at what the world actually needs. How in the world does my little bit make a difference? I actually brought along some statistics I want to share with you guys just so we know exactly what we're talking about here. Just talking about water, for instance. We all know about the clean water crisis in the world. One billion people in the world live without clean water every day. That's a significant fraction 
of the human population. That feels big, doesn't it? One billion. More die every year from bad water than war, famine, and AIDS combined. 90% of the 30,000 deaths that take place every week, every week, are children under five. It feels big, doesn't it? We look at our buckets and say, how, how could I feel that need? Another one. Little by little, we're being awakened to the fact that slavery still exists in the world today. Actually still exists in North Carolina. still exists in our own town. That's why we partner with an organization called Transforming Hope who rescues young women from sex slavery. 27 million are in slavery today. 80% are women. That's today. Today. For a lot of us, we've heard about shoes. There's a you know, company out there called Tom's Shoes. And so there's actually today millions who don't have shoes. They actually get infections. They can't fully live their lives. They can't simply go to school and enjoy school simply because they don't have shoes. There's millions of them. 285 million people today are visually impaired and have no treatment available to them. And yet 80% of the visual impairments are treatable. They're curable. Those are big statistics, aren't they? But for some of us, I know, I know this about you because I know it about myself. When I'm reading those statistics, your heart's beating, and you say, I gotta do something about that. But my bucket feels so small. Like, how could I fill up the whole thing when what I have just feels like a drop in the bucket? And then the majority of us, if we're just being honest, if we're just if, if can we just be real for a moment, we've all got a little bit of this bucket in us. This bucket is just simply called selfishness. We look at what we have, and we think, if I give, I don't have. It just feels like simple math, right? Like, if I give something away, I no longer have what I gave away. How in the world can I go around filling others' buckets when pretty soon I will actually lose out? The more I give, it feels like the more I'm going to lose, right? But that's actually not how it works. Well, look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Look up on the screens together with me. Luke chapter 6. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Let's keep reading together. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The truth is, when you give somehow you're given more to give and then the more that you give away somehow you're given more with the measure you use it will be given back to you when you step forward and you respond to a need and you hear the voice of God moving in you and you step out and you give somehow you have more to give and when it seems like you've given you've got nothing else, somehow you've got more to give. Are you following me? With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Give and it will be given to you. You know what the common denominator was in all those stats I showed earlier? For each of those, right, where I got that information, they were off websites from people where one person said, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Not on my watch will 
Billions of people live without clean water and, and have access to, to shoes or to, a, to, a, to, to medical help for their eyes. Not on my watch will millions live in slavery. One person stepped forward and said, not on my watch. With whatever they had, with whatever leadership, whatever authority, whatever power they had, whatever opportunity they had, they said, I will step forward. When it comes to water, there's a man named Scott Harrison who started an organization called Charity Water. Just one person said, I'm going to step forward. I'm going to do something about this. Because he stepped forward, one person, 3.2 million people now have ready access to clean drinking water because one person. There's a, a brand new organization that's, that's called End It, and it exists to, to hope end slavery. There's one pastor down in Atlanta. His name's Louis Giglio. He said, not on my watch. I'm gonna, we're going to try to end slavery in my lifetime. It's a brand new organization. He stepped forward, and to date, $250,000 have been donated to help end slavery around the world. It's a brand new organization. A lot of us have, have heard of, of Tom's Shoes. That's where I got the statistics about shoes, and, and, and even for sight, they now actually have glasses that they, that they sell to, uh, to provide medical help for people's eyes around the world. Today, because one person, Blake McCoskey, stepped forward and said, I'm not just going to sell shoes, I'm going to sell, sell shoes and give shoes away, 50 countries have now been impacted and actually have shoes that are ready for their children. 12 countries who previously had no medical help to help people with visual impairment now have that kind of help because one person said, you know what? It may feel like a drop in the bucket, but I'm going to step forward. I'm going to try. It may feel like a drop in the bucket. I may feel empty, but I'm going to try. I may feel inadequate, but whatever I have, I'm going to, I'm going to give it away. And I'm going to trust that when I give, God's going to take care of me and I'm going to receive. So what about you? Like, where do you start today? Where, where would you begin today? If you could do anything to step forward and serve, to choose joy, to join the joy ride, what would you do? I think there's three kind of main categories where you could step forward even today. The first is this. You have a sphere of influence. The people that are in your home, right? If, if you're a parent, you have a calling. Sometimes parenthood, there's moments it feels like a life sentence, right? <laughs> it's a calling, you have a calling. Will you choose joy? Will you choose to serve in those moments? If you're married, you have a calling. If you live in a neighborhood, you have a calling. If you go to work in the morning, you have a calling. The people who are in your sphere of influence are the first people that you could begin serving today. Will you choose to serve them? Will you choose joy in that midst? Jesus said this, it's in John 13. I want, I want to read it to you guys. We're thinking about these ways to serve. John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus knew. He knew that all the power in all the world and all of the earth was his. God gave it to him. If you had all the power in the world, what would you do with it? Here's what Jesus does. He knew that all things have been put under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer coating, clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When all authority under heaven and earth was given to Jesus, he got down and served. With whatever authority, with whatever power, with whatever opportunity we have, Jesus says, you want joy? Serve. 
A life is measured by what you give away. The second way that we can begin to give back is just simply through the church. Did you know that three quarters, nearly 75% of the people that, that make a decision to follow Christ, they will do so by the time they reach college? What's the most important ministry in the church? Children and students. For some of you, that, your heart is beating fast when I just said that. You need to run out there today and say, you know what, I'm, I'm signing up for children's ministry. Get a hold of Scott, our student pastor, and say, I've got to be a part of this. I've got to be a part of students making decisions to follow Christ, to make good decisions with their life. For a lot of you, you, you come in on a Sunday and you see those black welcome shirts, and you're like, I just wish I had an ounce of the joy that they have this early in the morning or maybe late at night. For you, you need to run out there and say, hey, how do I, how do I, how do I get a black shirt? <laughs> how do I serve on this team? I already told you earlier, the, the most joyous people you see on a Sunday morning are those that are out there serving. And they'll, they'll keep it up all day long. For some of you, you look and you see what happens up here on stage or some of the things that take place to make this all happen on a Sunday. You say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that worship arts team. Others of you would love to be a part of the operations around here. You're, you're sick and you love spreadsheets. <laughs> You're out there, I know. But you love to work in the office. You say, I've got some spare time, or I want to create some spare time so I can make this church happen for others. Some of you say, I would love just to come and mow the grass. I'd love to be a part of the operations team to make this place a beautiful place where others are welcomed in. Whatever it might be, can I challenge you today, if you're not serving, choose joy. And the final thing is this. When I was reading through those statistics, I know for a lot of you, you're like, I've got to do something about that. I, I, I've got to step in and do some of that. And it doesn't have to be a global opportunity. There are things right here in our cities, in our neighborhoods, where help is needed. Poverty exists all around us. Believe it or not, there, there is slavery and sex trade that actually happens all around us. You might just want to be a part of the education system around here. Whatever it might be, would you choose joy? Some of you, while you were watching Pastor Benji on the screen earlier, you're like, I wish I was with him right now in Haiti. I want to be a part of that trip or I want to be a part of the next trip. If that's you, sign up. Do it. Choose joy. Choose to go and serve. See, when Jesus was finished washing the disciples' feet, here's what he said. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said to them, and he would say to us, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also shall wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You want to be great? You want to join the joy ride? Serve. Now, I know when I throw out all those options, for some of you, it kind of feels like a weight on your shoulder. So I just want to say this, this final line. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. You can't do for everyone but you can do for everyone that God calls you to. You can't do for everyone. You can't. But you can do what it is that God has called you to. Those things that are laying on your heart this morning, those things that are in your mind, you're like, I've got to do that. I've got to step forward. I've got to be a part of that. Whatever that is for you, what's holding you back from it today? When I was talking at the beginning and I said, what can God do with a life that's fully surrendered to him? For some of you, you're like, I want to, I want to know. I want to know that if I gave it all, if I laid it all on the line, if I chose joy, if I chose to serve, I want to know what could God do with my life? And my question to you would be today, 
Why not? Why not jump in? Why not choose joy? Let's stand and pray. Father God, it's in moments like this that we just need to stop what we're doing and just say thank you. God, not a one of us would be sitting here if you, who are elevated above everything, above all people, above all kings, above all nations, above all the earth and the universe, you, our God, our creator and sustainer, left heaven to come and serve us. If our heavenly father sent his son to come and serve on our behalf, what does that mean for us? God, there's people here this morning, there are those who among us who are saying, I want joy in my life. I want to experience the fullness of life that Jesus promises. God, I pray that we would not be afraid to step out and serve. I pray that we would not hold back. That God, even if we feel like our bucket is empty, we would hear your voice and know that you are within us and we have access to the fountain of joy. We've got so much to give away. If we feel inadequate, if we, if we feel like what we've got is just a drop in the bucket, God, would we choose to serve and realize that that little bit that we have to give means so much to so many. And God, when we choose selfishness, because we do so many times, would we remember this moment? Would we actually set up things in our life starting today when we walk out of those doors that we would remind ourselves to choose joy every day? which means we would elevate others around us. To your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.